Hi, I'm Meredith McDaniel, and you're listening to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Enjoy. Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, the podcast. I'm Jenny Detweiler. Well, friends, I am really excited about today's guest, KJ Ramsey. If you haven't yet heard of KJ Ramsey, chances are you will in the near future. She's a therapist, an author, and an Enneagram facilitator, and she has a wealth of knowledge, which you'll hear pretty quickly on today's podcast episode. KJ has a 10-year history of chronic pain, and she writes about her experience both personally, from a spiritual perspective, and from a neurobiology perspective. I have been following her on Twitter for quite some time, and I love her posts. They're always eloquent and spot on. Her first book is scheduled to come out in May. It's called This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. I loved this conversation with KJ. She's the real deal, and I hope that you will too. So with that, let's jump into today's podcast episode. Well, KJ, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. Thanks for having me. First of all, it is really fun to be with you today. And I'm KJ Ramsey. I am a therapist and a writer. I have a book coming out this year, and I love talking about how God meets us in the middle of our hard things. Yeah, which I'm excited to talk to you about today. So the title of your book, which comes out in May, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Is this too shall last, finding grace when suffering lingers? So somebody does not set out to write a book about suffering called This Too Shall Last without having a story. Can you share about how you became so familiar with suffering? Absolutely. Yeah. So suffering, I I can honestly say, has been part of my life since the beginning. Um, I, I grew up in a household that though there was a lot of love, there was also a lot of chaos but I, I would have for a lot of my life not said that suffering was part of it, really uh, did not get in touch with the pain in my life until my health started to fail about 11 years ago. Um, very suddenly, I, I became sick with an autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis. Uh, it took a lot of years before we figured out the name of the disease that was messing up my life, but... Yeah, I've had this this disease and um, pain really as part of my life every single day for the last eleven years, and so living with an incurable illness has forced me to reckon with the fact that suffering is actually a part of every Christian story, yeah, and and that it's been part of my whole story along with God's grace. So that's really roundabout sort of how I came to write this book and the fact that nobody, I just could not find books that addressed stories like mine from their midpoint rather than just being things that we've overcome. Right. Yeah. One of my heroes is Johnny Erickson Tata. Are mm-hmm. you familiar with her? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any people like that that you followed or that have given you inspiration? You know, honestly, I wish I could say I had more heroes. I really, I really do like Johnny. Um, I found her to be an inspiration over the years. Uh, 
I found um, my own mentor, uh, Kelly Capic, to be a bit of an inspiration too. His wife has lived with chronic pain for about the same amount of time as I have. But yeah, I've struggled to find voices that that really resonate with mine and that include stories that are similar to mine. So that's been actually difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah. Before this podcast, which actually we kind of jumped in like into the deep end. So <laughs> that's, that's what happens we, with me. <laughs> <laughs> we're both counselors. That's what yes, we do. Right. It's true. Um, so before we did this podcast, I went on your website, which listeners, she has an awesome website and I'll link to it in the show notes. And you have a lot of articles that you've written. And I found a favorite quote in one of your articles, suffering internalized is dark and heavy, but suffering shared engenders courage and hope. So I know you've written quite a bit about interpersonal neurobiology, and I know what that is, but I'm not sure everybody knows what that is. This Can is you true. explain yeah, kind of what that is and also how it impacts the way you view suffering in community? Absolutely. So interpersonal neurobiology is a field of study that really integrates a lot of different disciplines from psychology to anthropology to theology um, and, and neuroscience, obviously. And it's really about seeing that our brains are actually more than the three pound mass on the top of our heads, that really your brain and your mind are embodied. So they're throughout your whole body and also that you are relational. So mm -hmm. everything about how your mind works is actually constantly being shaped and formed and stretched by the people around you. Right. And really, I've found that that is so consistent with scripture's view of who we are as people. So scripture shows that we're made in the image of God who is relational in and of himself as the Trinity. And so, mm -hmm. and also that, that we are embodied, that we're not just souls whose bodies are going to pass away after Jesus comes back, that really these bodies, we will be embodied forever. And I think yeah. a lot of Christians really, really downplay the role of our physicality and in doing so miss and cut off the place where we can find the most grace um, and where God meets us is in, is in how we breathe and how we speak, how we eat and how we hug and touch. But these are, these are the places where God meets us and where God makes us whole. So mm -hmm. that's what interpersonal neurobiology is aimed at helping us recover that we are embodied and that we are relational. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So community impacts our brains. Not mm -hmm. just our relationships. Yeah, really and, love. and and vice versa. And I know uh -huh. I just missed the part where you said, well, how That's does this okay. change with suffering? It's a lot. It's a big question because what it was a big question. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. But um, yeah, with suffering, and I think with with all the hard things in our lives, the way that our culture works is that we are taught from the moment we are born, really, to be self sufficient mm -hmm. and to to be individuals. But scripture puts forward a vision for wholeness that is about interdependence. And interpersonal neurobiology really shows us how we thrive when we are in relationship with others. Though relationships are often what cause a lot of wounding in our lives, they're also where we will become most whole and most free. Mm -hmm. And so I think it offers us a bit of a template for reversing 
the way forward in suffering that instead of really being reinforced, being um, put down a path of disconnection where suffering isolates you, it threatens you, it defeats you, that the way forward, the way towards wholeness, the way towards grace is toward others and towards an acknowledgement that our bodies, even in their broken state, are good. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. So I know personally, when I'm in pain, the last thing I want to do is go find people to talk to or Mm -hmm. tell them that I'm in pain. I really kind of go inside of myself and want to close down a little bit. So I know different people experience pain in different ways. Has that been how you experience it? And how do you reach out? Absolutely. So, I mean, when we are in pain and that's pain, pain works the same way in our bodies. It it actually um, fires the same kind of pathways, whether that's emotional pain, um, spiritual pain, physical pain. When we are in pain. Yeah. and, And I think a lot of people forget we like to really be dualistic and you know, mental pain is different than physical pain. And it's actually just not true. Um, So when we're in pain, what happens is that our, we, our brains become disintegrated. We start to fire from more of the lower brain region where we're in fight, flight, or freeze mode. And when you do that, you can't, you can't connect to others. All of your physicality becomes um, focused on survival protecting on self-protection. Yeah. And that's, that's part of how God made you. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's good to that. But when, when we're in suffering that lingers, when suffering doesn't end and it's part of your daily existence or for seasons, it's really strongly in your face. You can't stay in that lower brain region, self-protection state forever and be okay. And so, so really, um, the invitation in our pain. And that's, that's true. So I, I will disconnect to, I will, when I'm in pain, get irritable and grouchy and want to go be by myself, of course, but there is an invitation from God, I think, to, to take some deep breaths, to help our bodies reach, like reintegrate from the lower brain to the upper brain and from the left to the right so that we can access a state of calm again and access the what neuroscience calls the prefrontal cortex that's involved with um, our rational thought, meaning making, and emotional regulation. And so in suffering, I know that sounds like a lot of big words that is throughout there. And I know you get them because you're a therapist. I get it, but, yeah. <laughs> but really what that means is as we take a deep breath, as we we remember where we are, who we are, mm-hmm. that though everything doesn't feel like it's okay, we are okay. We're able to slow down and, and acknowledge that there's a little bit more that's true than the pain that we're in. And that there are people, but that there perhaps are people who can meet us where we're at, including Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads me into the next question. I had written this as one question, but I'm going to make it two. Okay. (laughs) In your battles with chronic pain, in what ways has the Lord sustained you or given you hope? Like real examples in your real life. And I'm going to add a relational piece to that too. Like how do people in your life do that too? Yeah. No, I'm glad you're splitting it up because I think though it's not separate, 
it's so much. And I would love to be able to speak to some of the nuances of that. So, so the first part, how does the Lord sustain me and give me hope in my suffering? Yeah, because it's day after day. It is. It is. And I I honestly was just thinking about this a lot yesterday. Um, I spent most of the weekend in bed um, from pain, but also nausea um, just with the monthly or the weekly chemotherapy that I take. I'm so tired of it. I've been on it for 10 years and I still still like resist taking it every single month because or week it's because of how you know it's just hard to give up a day of your life to feel nauseated every single week um and I was thinking yesterday as I was laying in bed really wanted to to be out and about doing some things that I had planned and I remembered this this is where God meets me that because Jesus I was I was actually looking through my page proofs through my book and it's like reading my own words it's like yeah because Jesus chose to be embodied because he walked this earth in a real body that felt pain and that that died he meet and I'm united to him because of his resurrection because of the holy spirit this place of my pain is a place where Jesus is present and this is where heaven meets earth mm-hmm here now and and there's a there there's something about that remembrance that makes that fills me with hope and wonder there it's it's true it's surer than anything else in the world that when when i am in pain and i remember jesus christ who i am united to heaven meets earth that the death that's happening in my body the decay that's happening is being touched by the life of jesus through his spirit and the life of the world to come is touching this life right now. And that fills me, that makes this p- place of pain where I'm stuck in my bed and I want to get out and I'm miserable and maybe grimacing and all that. It makes that a place of um, a bit indescribable wonder. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that's part of how God meets me and gives me hope in my suffering um, just from this week, I guess. So th- thank you. That was a real example. I appreciate A that. real example. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> um, and what about people? Like, do you have community that mm-hmm. is helpful for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So when I read this question, when you um, sent them beforehand, I, th- I was thinking, you know, the biggest way, something I talk about a lot is that others can have hope on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Faith is not an individual process we think it is we really think it is but faith is actually being connected to the the reality that you're part of a body right and so for me that means i don't have to sustain my faith on my own which also means there are times when i can't sustain my faith on my own and instead of a thing that brings me shame that is the ground of my hope because I can ask other people to believe for me, to believe that God is good on my behalf, to believe that my life is going to be more than just one slew of bad things after another, to believe that there's more to my identity than my disease, to remember that I'm more than a grouchy person who (laughs) is stumbling around and can't walk some days, you know, like, yeah, that so our faithlessness is actually an invitation to 
to a greater, more true sense of identity. And, and what that really looks like on a practical level is when I am struggling at this point, because it's been enough years of being in this process, I know to reach out. And that doesn't mean I do it every time. And it doesn't mean I do it perfectly. But I tell the people in my life that I need their care. And I sometimes put it exactly like I just put it, that I need them to have faith on my behalf. Mm-hmm. And they do. And they commit to pray for me. And they remind me of what's true. And that doesn't mean giving me platitudes. It means saying what's true about who I am and how they see me and and telling me stories from their life, not just about suffering, but just to remind me that there's more going on than my small world, how my world gets, you know, made small to like the smallness of my bedroom. But yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of yeah beginning of an answer. I could really yeah. talk about that for like 17 podcasts. So. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do that later. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of leads me into asking about counseling because I know as a counselor, sometimes I can be struggling with things personally. I go in and it all of a sudden becomes about somebody else. And that sometimes is really helpful for me. And not just in counseling, parenting that happens, ministry that happens, all kinds of different ways. Being with other people sometimes gives us different perspective and gets us out of our own heads. Mm-hmm. So for you, what led you into the counseling field? So it was my disease that led me into the counseling field. I was working in community development uh, for a nonprofit called the Chalmers Center. And it was the second time in my very young life. I was, I don't remember how old I was, 24. Um, the second time at 24 since graduating from college that I had to quit my job because of my disease. And I thought that was going to be my whole career, that I was going to be in the work of poverty alleviation, especially on the moral research and training side of things. And my body seemed to not be letting me have a normal career. And and I was also, I think, deeper longings were being stirred of what I wanted to be able to do. I wanted to go to a deeper place. I wanted to talk about the poverty of the human spirit um, and and beyond economic poverty. Not that economic poverty doesn't deserve our attention as well, but I, I think I wanted to get underneath it all. Um, and my body wouldn't let me keep working. So in the wake of having to quit that job and grieve the loss of my career, I was seeing a therapist to process things and she had a chronic illness and I noticed how she was able to set up her space to work for her body and set up her schedule to work for the unpredictability of her body, but also how she was able to offer me a safety and an ease with sharing my story that I really had struggled to find. and. And I'd seen, I'd tried some other therapists and they just did not get it. <laughs> they, I had to explain so much about uh, what. That is kind of rare that you would find somebody that could relate so well. How'd you do that? I, I, I found somebody that went to my sister church. Okay. And so I think just through like word of mouth, I found out that she had a chronic illness. And so I tried her and I was pretty demoralized by that point. Cause I was like. I'd seen someone else and felt just totally misunderstood and and 
Like I had to spend so much time trying to explain what my life looked like going to so many doctor's appointments and getting so much treatment. And yeah. So in that experience of seeing this therapist, I was getting in touch with some things in my own story of how God has made me. And I realized there are so few therapists who really understand the experience of chronic physical pain. And I just was like, all right, this is a career my body might let me do. Yeah. This is a presence I can offer to others. I'm going to try it. And and my husband was in seminary at the time. Um, he was on the slow track because of being my caregiver. And so it was really time for him to to be able to finish his degree and be able to become a pastor like he had been working towards for years. And so we moved to Denver and both went to Denver Seminary. He finished his degree and I got mine and haven't looked back since. So that's how I became a counselor. And and I've loved it. And my not, not my whole practice is not given just to chronic physical pain, but right. I have found that my own experience of pain helps me be sensitive to the ways that we all have parts of our stories that we would not have chosen. Mm-hmm. And that through telling those stories in a atmosphere of safety and respect, we are able like our our lives are expanded to experience who we are and where we are as places of grace. Yeah. And, and I have the same experience as you that sitting across from people, even when I'm in pretty bad physical pain, sometimes I have to cancel sessions, but I, I am able sometimes to just almost be in this other dimension uh-huh. <laughs> of joy yeah. and connection. And I love getting to do that of just this, this mystical thing of hearing someone's story and focusing on them, offering them that kind of attunement and presence. Even while I'm in physical pain, I'm not forgetting my pain, but there's this union that happens while listening. That's just a gift. And I am so thankful for, and it it really fills my sometimes really painful days with a special kind of joy over. Mm -hmm. It's a joy over shared suffering and sorrow, oddly. But yeah. it's it's beautiful and I'm I'm really grateful to get to do it. So I was gonna talk to you about the Enneagram and you saying I can sit with shared sorrow takes me right there because you're an Enneagram four, right? Right. So I'm okay. just you know <laughs> so speaking my my language. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I have talked about the Enneagram with other people on my podcast, although I am not a facilitator and neither have those people been. So it's been kind of a lay conversation. Yeah. Um, but you are a facilitator. So I'm kind of wondering, um, how do you think understanding more about your personality has helped you personally? I'm making all these questions, multiple layers. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. It's okay. How's it helped you personally as an author, as a counselor? Start there. Yeah. Where, wherever you want to start. Okay. How does the Enneagram helped you? Yeah. Well, it's been a process for sure. And at this point, you know, I'm years into it, but learning about first learning about my own type was an incredible and it wasn't it wasn't very uh, straight how I got to the point of knowing my type. So I should say engaging the Enneagram as a spiritual formation tool led me to be in touch with my own story and yeah. the pain and the grace in my story because I miss, we mistyped me at first as a one. Oh. And so there was a good like year and a half process 
of after that. So there's a process to get to that. And then there was a year and a half process of, of figuring out that we totally got it wrong. And during that year, it evoked so much pain for me to realize how misunderstood I felt by my spouse was actually how misunderstood I felt my whole life. And for me to be able to acknowledge these deep wounds in my story and in my childhood of how I felt in my family, how I felt at school. I was a weird little loner growing up <laughs> until about until about the eighth grade. And it it was it was so good for me to acknowledge that pain. But it also then was an invitation for me to be who I really am. So I think I had always felt the shame over my my creativity, my quirkiness, my love. I'm a I'm a four with a five wing. So my love for research and just a big nerd. Yeah, yeah, for knowledge, but also my like kind of small window of emotional energy. Even though I'm a deeply empathetic person, I also, you know, I, I have limits on how much I can offer. And so it was so affirming once I did finally figure out my type because it helped me own it is good, it is a gift to be who I am as a creative as a deeply empathetic person and God is inviting me to greater stability. And I don't, I don't, it was already, it was, it was funny. I have a little, I'm taking you on a big journey here. So sorry for my long answer, but I'm for it. I have a anchor tattoo on my wrist and I'd gotten it a few years before I learned about my type. And it was so funny because for fours, the virtue is equanimity and that's really like emotional balance that we, whatever storms are coming in, we don't have to be totally ruled by them. There, There is a center within us that can remain true and calm and grounded no matter what. And there's an invitation there. And I had already intuitively known that was what I needed. <laughs> I got this tattoo that Christ is my anchor. And no matter what the storms of suffering and life were bringing, that I was always secure in him. Yeah, and, and it was just such a cool moment when I realized that I already knew that about myself. And, and that's and in think, Hebrews 6, I think. I think it's 6, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that verse. Yeah, I love it too. And I think that's what the Enneagram offers us is a way to respect and honor our stories, but also to see the grace that God has already shown us in our story the way that he's already been inviting us into wholeness and that we've already been responding to him all the way along. And there's just this power of naming that goodness that you've already been participating in. When you name it, then you, you get to own it more and, and you get to explore the nooks and crannies of it further and, and offer it to others. And that's not even getting into like how much it's transformed my marriage to know about my spouse's type and, <laughs> yeah. and what it offers my clients to be able to walk with them and, and learning about their own stories and personality dynamics. But for me, it's been a massive tool to seek balance and to, to then find rhythms that help me be um, rooted in who Christ has made me instead of only wildly empathetic and emotional or only melancholy or all these things. It just takes me back to my body and and to practices that are grounding. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I did find a quote 
about that too, because you wrote an article about the Enneagram. I believe it can be a tool for stepping into the transformation God extends to us in Christ. And I love that so much because yes, even I use the Enneagram inappropriately in um, kind of throwing it around sometimes because it's fun to do. It's just a fun conversation starter, Mm. but it really is so much more than that. Like the spiritual aspect of it is really big. And I have grown so much this year. Like there's just layers and layers and layers to it. So I love, I love that take on it. Thank you so much. I'm going to interrupt you. So yeah, I know you've brought this up on previous podcasts, but I don't know what your type is. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I am an Enneagram too. Okay. But I listened for a long time and felt like most of it applied, but the whole helper thing really didn't until I learned about the subtypes and I'm a self-preservation too. So I'm, it's easier for me to put up boundaries. Probably being a counselor for 10 years has helped with that too, but (laughs) yeah, but kind of a big extrovert less than other twos probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm very strong in the feelings and, but learning my root sin is pride. Like I knew that, but this year the Lord has just really brought it up and brought the whole gift of humility to the forefront, which I think he's been teaching me through a lot of things over the last few years. But yeah, there's a lot to the Enneagram there's, and I'm not going to take more time to talk about me about it, but (laughs) it's big. There's a lot to it. There is, there is. So we kind of talked about scripture, but has there been a particular scripture that's been meaningful to you through this journey? Yeah. So my favorite scripture is Psalm 126, 5, which says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And I've, I've found that to be true and a promise. Uh-huh. So, so there's a truth that when we sow with our tears, we actually acknowledge and express our sorrow, that it is the means that God uses to awaken joy. And and we always tend to think that sorrow and joy are very separate from one another. Mm-hmm. But but I've experienced that that it's in my sorrow that joy tends to grow and and surprise me. It, it's like a like in that movie inside out they go together mm-hmm. absolutely yeah they do such a good job in that movie of depicting that and um of depicting, depicting emotion in general but mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's a promise as well that that there is a, sometimes and this is what i talk about in my book there are think hard things that stay in our lives until jesus returns and jesus is returning and there is joy coming joy is our inheritance and so we have to remember that and and yearn for that and then i think the beautiful invitation that's that's a big challenge for us is that we get to taste that now but that we aren't the authors of that joy jesus is and that it involves going to places that we generally would not choose to go yeah and trusting him that he's going to take us there and not just take us into disappointment but he's going to lead us by the hand into joy that's really good that is really good your book is coming out in May. And mm-hmm. so can people pre-order it now? They can. Yep. Okay. You can pre-order it. So I'll link to that on my show notes. What is your hope for your book? Like, what are you hoping it will mean to people that it will accomplish in the world? My hope for this two shall last is that it sparks curiosity and courage 
in readers to experience their stories and their bodies and their relationships as places where God is already present. I hope that it makes a bit of a difference in how we talk about the hard things in our lives. I hope it it creates some conversation among Christians and beyond about the nature of suffering mm-hmm. and and the nature of our bodies that it that it changes a little bit about this dualistic thing we have going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I hope ultimately that it for people who are suffering that it sparks curiosity and courage that their life really has goodness in it already. Well, I'm going to pray it does just that. Thanks. So if you guys are not following KJ on Instagram or Twitter, you should be because she always has really great posts that I think are already doing that, even if they're not reading your book. So she's worth a follow for sure. So to close this podcast, we kind of talked about a lot of hard things. We didn't kind of, we did talk about a lot of hard things. (laughs) So I'm going to end on a lighter note. You mentioned, I did not prep you for this. (laughs) That's Um, fine. That's fine. You mentioned like a little bit of quirkiness. So tell me how your quirkiness comes out. Oh, gosh. How does it not come out Uh. Um, is more of the question. But, you know, one way it comes out all the time, most a lot of the time, is I love to do things like ridiculous dancing, Um, usually in my car. But I don't know. It happens more than in the car. Uh. I, I love to laugh just, at me because I do that too. Yeah, I'm terrible. I have no dance skills whatsoever. I have zero rhythm, but <laughs> I like to move my body and laugh and just like do things that help me not take myself so seriously. So that's way, but yeah, I, I get really nerdy about things like neuroscience and therapy and theology. And, you know, I... I spend my free time reading research articles and like doing like when I talk about it, usually people's eyes glaze over Uh, after like five minutes. So it's been a real challenge for me as an author to like have to communicate in a way that connects with people. Cause really I could just live in my little cave and read books every single day, all day. But yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerdy goofball. I love it. Yep. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Is there anything you wanted to say you didn't get a chance to? Gosh, no, it's just good to talk. And and I know that you're somebody who has faced a lot of hard things in your own life and a lot of pain. So it's always a joy to get to share the goodness about our lives with somebody who has walked that and acknowledged Mm -hmm. it deeply. So thank you for having me and for sharing that part of your story, too been a pleasure and a blessing. Thanks. Thanks again to KJ for taking time to talk with me. I so enjoyed our conversation. Friends, if you aren't yet following KJ, you can find her on Twitter or Instagram. Her posts are always really encouraging. You can also find out more about KJ Ramsey at her website, kjramsey.com, where you can learn more about her ministry, see other podcasts she's been on, and some of the articles she's written. If something you heard on today's podcast episode resonated with you, please go on the website, pauserenewnext.com under the show notes and leave a comment. Or you can always join the conversation on our Facebook page. 
You can find PRN Pause Renew Next on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can follow the podcast and subscribe on almost any podcasting app. Well, that is all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN Pause Renew Next, the podcast. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Thank you.